Welcome to the Pro Economy Podcast, where we discuss water quality with industry experts. So please check us out at www.proeconomy.com, where you can find out more about our Orca copper and silver ionization system for the control of disease-causing bacteria, such as Legionella and Pseudonomus. If water hygiene is an issue, then please reach out. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. It's uh, the Pro Economy podcast, and we'd like to welcome Nick Barsby from AD in to come and talk to us today about water sampling. So, good morning, Nick. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Certainly, Sonia. Morning, everybody. Um, so, my name's Nick Barsby. Um, a few of you may well have heard of me. Um, most prominently, I sit on the Legionella Control Association as an independent committee member. Um, I've worked in the industry for over 10 years now, working at numerous laboratories, uh, including at Sova, Al Control, and ALS, as well as uh, currently at AD. Brilliant. So uh, we've obviously had quite a few years industry experience. So how have you seen things changing maybe in the last 10 years in terms of uh, water sampling? Yes, so there's been an awful lot of change in the regulations uh, is the biggest change that I think we've seen over the last 10 years, Sonia. Um, The market's definitely got a lot more data hungry. People want to know more information as quick as possible, as soon as possible and instantly. Um, Obviously, recently we've seen the updates to HSG 274 and the amendment to ACOP L8. Uh, We've also seen the addition of HSG 282 for the spa pools, Uh, not forgetting other developments such as HTMO 401 with the big addendum to now include the uh, pseudomonas testing, which has been very significant for the laboratories. Uh, Lots more samples coming in and lots more work for people like yourself. So um, could you perhaps run, going back to basics, could you run through the sampling methods available to people out there? Yes, certainly, Sonia. So the main method that the laboratories use is the ISO 11731, which is referred to as the gold standard, the culture method. With this method, we take one litre of sample, uh, less can be provided. This is filtered, uh, and then we end up with a very small uh, 10 mil diluent of sample where these membranes placed. This is sonicated, and then we take a small amount of that sample and put it on three separate plates. We have an acid-treated, a heat-treated, and an untreated plate. Uh, the plate is then incubated for 10 days. It's read at a couple of occasions on that, normally days three or four and days seven or eight. Uh, where presumptive samples are identified, uh, a confirmation method takes place, I'll come on to those later, uh, and then you end up with your positive final result after 12 days, or if it's a negative sample, after 10 calendar days. Uh, That's a traditional method that most people will be aware of. Other methods available include PCR, where we report the results as genomic units. Uh, These can't be compared to colony forming units, CFUs, it's important to point that out, Um, but it does give you an instant identification, or rapid, sorry, identification of the um, the colony counts and the genomic units there. Uh, the other method that's used for identifying bacteria in water samples tends to be dip slides. Uh, these are a very good marker, they allow you to trend for data, but they don't give you exact counts, so you can't be as thorough with those. Uh, in my experience, people tend to use a lot of dip slides for routine monitoring. When bacterial counts start to increase, they then refer back to the gold standard of undertaking UCAS accredited testing. Okay, brilliant. Um, so moving forward, you mentioned um, rapid testing. I mean, obviously, that's quite topical at the moment. Yes. Um, it would be fantastic if every result would be kind of achieved within two days. But I understand there's some kind of um, some problems with that potentially. Yes, there's, there's some pitfalls. Um, so PCR, although it's a fantastic method, and it, w- it will be the way the market ends up in the fullness of time, um, the importance being the fullness of time there. 
uh, that sort of testing, it's fantastic at giving you that sort of eight hour, 12 hour result. But what you do find is that the sample can detect viable but non-culturable organisms. So these are bacteria that will be present on a PCR DNA scan, but you wouldn't be able to grow them using the traditional culture method, the gold standard. PCR can also identify some of the dead uh, DNA. It can't differentiate in a lot of methods, so I think there are some developments required. Where we're seeing the biggest growth and the biggest increase at the moment is the Moldatov confirmations, which takes the gold standard of your traditional filtration method, but it brings that confirmation down to minutes rather than two days. So with Moldatov, you do not have any issues with VBNC, the viable but non-culturable, because the bacteria has to be present. And if the DNA isn't there to be uh, replicated or the protein structure isn't there to grow, then you can't use Molotov to confirm it. So it is a, a good a good method. Brilliant. So um, obviously with the, with the rapid testing, there's going to be a cost implications. I mean, what kind of costing should uh, would people be expected to pay? Yeah, certainly. So as an example, um, a routine culture test will cost somewhere in the region of between 10, 15, maybe 20 pounds, depending on the volume of samples that you're submitting. Uh, there is no additional charge from most laboratories for mold soft confirmations. It's actually a quicker and more efficient method for the labs to undertake, so I wouldn't expect to pay a premium for that. Um, with PCR, though, the cost of that testing, you're looking somewhere between 150, maybe 200 pounds per sample. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a significant increase there in cost. It's probably tenfold. And do you think um, that's a, that the more widely it's be, it becomes used, uh, that the prices will come down, do you think? I would expect it to, yes. It's very much an economies of scale at the moment with PCR. Um, it's not used very commonly. Um, as I said, I've worked for numerous big laboratories around the UK. Uh, probably less than 1% of samples are analysed using PCR. Uh, and when we're talking 20,000 samples a week, it's it's clear to see why it isn't used. Oh, okay. The prices are high. Good stuff. So... Um, I mean, in terms of yourselves as a laboratory, I mean, do you, obviously, with the legislation changing and things in various different markets, um, do you see um, the volume of samples being submitted for, for testing to yourselves um, increasing in markets other than the healthcare market? Yes, definitely. It's, it's an increasing market, and I think more people are becoming more aware of the regulations. There was a, an outbreak very recently up in Newcastle, which has been through the court process. Um, that's now been published, so I don't become liable for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's brought people's attentions. And as a laboratory, whenever we see a case that makes headlines, such as the one in Newcastle, we do see a spike in the number of samples that are taken. It seems to focus the mind um, of the external market, is what I would say. Uh, but more generally, we do see a lot more samples coming in. Uh, the closed, mar closed system market is increasing significantly. The routine just monitoring of commercial premises is increasing significantly as well. I think the, uh, the risk of corporate manslaughter is a very big driver for some very big corporate organisations. Absolutely. The costs are, uh, the costs are getting quite... Uh expensive now from what yes, I've seen yes. in, the, in the press so um I mean in terms of failure rates and so what kind of failure rates would you say are kind of average across the board yeah so it does vary with the weather conditions and the, the external conditions um, and these are just some estimates for the, everyone out there to get an idea and a feel but what I would suggest is that failure rates are between six and seven percent in the winter months and that does tend to rise up to about ten percent in the summer months um, that does also get varied slightly if we do see an outbreak we do see a lot more samples being taken from systems which may not be monitored as frequently so we've got a higher chance of having a positive as well 
Okay, brilliant. And then in terms of um, the actual taking of the samples themselves, is there anything, any advice that you could give people potentially that, um, you know, could um, could help them with making their decision of what Certainly. to do? So I would always recommend using uh, an experienced professional company. Proeconomy are very good at this as an example. Um, no, no plug intended. Um, but there are an awful lot out there of people that can take these samples that have got the right accreditation and the right competence assessments in place. Um, if you are going to take these samples yourselves, I would thoroughly recommend that you've got the right training in place, that you're competent and signed off by someone who's able to sign you off as competent. Um, the Water Management Society runs some very good city and guilds courses. There are other trainers out there, so you can get some good training involved, but that's critical. Absolutely. I must say that uh, yeah, the Water Management Society were arranged our City and Guilds accredited um, sampling uh, course for our samplers very recently, in fact. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we do believe it to be very important that the understanding of techniques is, um, is key. Um, so, I mean, if someone were to be looking for a lab, I mean, what, what should they be looking for accreditation-wise from, from you guys? Yeah, so I would always suggest that you look for their UCAS accreditation first and foremost. So every laboratory will have a unique number that refers to their accreditation number. You can refer to this on the UCAS website, which is www.ucas.com. There's a couple of clicks there and you can find to search for a company's number or a company's name. You can also search for accredited companies for tests on there as well. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to find an accredited laboratory for Legionella testing, mm -hmm. if you just type Legionella in their search bar, it will bring you up the list. I think it's about 35 long at the moment. Oh, wow. So it's a, there's a big, big selection out there. Um, other key things to be looking for um, is someone that's possibly members of the Legionella Control Association. Um, being a committee member, it's a, an independent body but I would strongly suggest that anyone that you're using is a member of the LCA I do believe that the aim of the group is to raise standards and it's something that we should be doing um, and don't be afraid to question the laboratory do they understand the latest regs the latest methods do they know the update to ISO 11731 has come out which method are they working towards are they working to the 2012 method or the 2017 method that's an important question and there's a lot of talks about that at recent water management society conferences as well Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Um, so I think uh, that's probably uh, a quite a good good introduction to the sampling, uh, uh, what people should be looking for and what's out there for people. But I'm sure if anyone were to want to get in contact with you for more questions, they'd be able to do so via LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's an ideal platform or you can email me directly. Okay, fantastic. What's your email address? It's nick, N-I-C-K, dot barsby b-a-r-s-b-y at ad which is a-d-e-y dot com fantastic thank you so much for coming in for the pro economy podcast thanks, thanks nick thanks. thank you bye bye Cheers.